Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this, of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. I want to begin with something of an apology mixed with a corrective from last week. If you're here with us for the first time today or visiting, we're in the middle of a section of Paul's letter to Corinth in which Paul is seeking to persuade newly converted Corinthians to drop or at least radically to alter some of their long-held spiritual, social, and civic custom. I said last week, the issues we're dealing with in these chapters will expose us to some of the toughest and most challenging decisions that we will have to take in the whole of our Christian lives. If the Corinthians, Christians in Corinth were to live Christianly, and if the Christians in Corinth determined to behave in such a way as to love and build up their brothers and sisters in the church, rather than remaining enmeshed in their pagan culture, well, potentially, you can see this involves profound changes in their social standing, challenges to their way of life. And by way of revision, we said last week that every culture has its emblems and markers and badges of belonging, its rituals. And, and we said last week, because all human culture is inherently sinful, such markers and flags, you know, they lie at the intersection of the pagan philosophy of our culture and ourselves. And so the question is, though the badges and emblems may not themselves be sinful per se, you know, will we... Will we embrace them? Will we take part in these ceremonies? Will we adopt the flags and the emblems? 
And of course, the flags and the emblems of any culture are, are so precious and meaningful to the culture precisely because they are, if you like, the load bearers of that culture's pagan philosophy. And so they become, why, really very, very significant in the culture. Now, we saw in Corinth that these markers all gather around, very specifically, the idol temple and food offered to idols and eaten in the temple. And if you just look across the page, turn back a page, I think, and look across the page to chapter 8, verse 10, chapter 8, verse 10, this was the key verse from last week. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother or sister for whom Christ died. You see, of course, the, the, the new Christian Corinthians, they, they, they know that idols are nothing. Though there is power and evil philosophy behind the idolatry, they know that the idol itself in the idol shrine is it's nothing. Did that mean they could continue eating at the idol temples at will, crack on, you know, crack open the bubbly? And we noted last week there were at least 17 pagan deities worshipped in Corinth in multiple shrines and that everything was governed by idolatry. So you went up to uni, you know, a sacrifice was made to make sure you did really well. You graduated, another sacrifice was made and a food held by your parents and family at the shrine because that's where everybody ate. You, you, you did a deal in business and yeah, a sacrifice is made and blood might even be brought to the office. It even happens in some cultures today. You got married, you had a child, you died. Everything was governed by the temple. Remember this invitation we looked at last week. Cameron requests your company at the table of the Lord Serapis. Cameron was the person putting the invite out. Serapis was a Greco-Egyptian god of the sun. And your company is requested tomorrow on the 15th at nine o'clock where the first birthday of a daughter is to be celebrated at a meal in the Serapium. Would you go? Becomes very complex, doesn't it? If you don't go, well, social exclusion, shame. And I think immediately we can see parallels with whatever culture we personally come from. You know, every culture is inherently sinful. Culture comes out of human rebellion against God. And every culture has its badges of belonging, emblems and social customs and norms. And so... Do you know, these issues, they're very costly. And obviously the Corinthians think, chapter 8, verse 10, their knowledge means they can crack on regardless and not bear the cost of their new Christian faith in this world. In fact, they could even enhance their social standing. They were worldly, they thought they were strong, they liked being rich and well thought of. Why withdraw? Paul actually wants to get them right out of the idol temples. We'll see that next week. And inevitably, think of your reputation if you didn't take part in the celebratory meal when the deal was done in the office. Or if you withdrew your children from the uh, 
relational and sex education of your school or And the apostle says, you know, not so fast. You, you, you can't actually do both things without causing damage to people around you. And, and here's my apology or corrective, if you like. You know, the issues we're dealing with are huge. And I had the very painful experience of having to listen to myself preach this week. I'm, my sympathy is entirely with you all. I, <laughs> I was at a conference. We were helping one another with our preaching and I was leading a group but the leaders were subject to exactly the same painful treatment as everybody else and so I had to listen to my sermon from last week myself and as I listened to it and nobody mentioned this in the group but I felt it almost sounded as if it was quite you know well this is what we got to do crack on and do it and um, I think I didn't fail to uh, though I think I said it to, to, to to recognize quite how complex and profoundly costly this is going to be for us. And I got three children, um, one child and two in-laws. Well, one is a potential in-law, but they're all, uh, I mean, they are actually engaged. I'm not announcing their engagement here and now. (laughs) They're all teaching. And we talk about this all the time because it's so big in the schools. One of my children works in a state institution. This is big. Is he going to keep his job as he takes a stand where these emblems and flags, which are so precious to our culture, and they are not in themselves sinful, but they embody the pagan philosophy of our culture. And as you say, well, actually, I'm not going to put that flag on my email. Oh, what are people going to think of you? It is very painful. We talk about this all the time as a family. I've just got two points, and if at any stage you think I start sounding a bit bossy, you have my full permission to stand up and say, yeah, just calm down a bit, William. One, Paul gave, us his free, Paul, Paul gave up his freedoms or rights in order to offer for free the message that makes us free, verses 1 to 12. And then verse 13 through 23, though this was immensely costly to him, he did this freely because he was free. First then, Paul gave up his freedom to offer for free the message that makes us free, verses 1 to 12. And really, these verses form an extended argument for the rights and freedoms that Paul as an apostle working amongst the Corinthians was due, and he he uses himself as an example because they were there as he did it, and they knew how he operated. It's as if he's saying, look, you're not prepared to give up anything, You just want to enhance your social status and so forth. Hang on, this is how the gospel works. You've seen it because this is what I did when I was with you. So Paul had rights. You can see all the way through chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. It's rights, 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 rights. Verses 1 to 12, rights, rights, rights. He deserved his rights. He was owed those rights. They were his rightfully. He had every right to claim them, but he didn't. Paul gave up his rights to make it all right for others to be made right with God. He gave up his rights to make it all right for others to be made right. 
And I think the second half of verse 12 is key. The beginning of verse 13, do you not know, is a classic sign of a new marker, a new part in Paul's writing here. But look at the second half of verse 12 from the paragraph break there in chapter 9. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. As if Paul's saying, look, this is the Christian way. You know, we don't demand our freedoms as Christians. And uh, we don't kind of research our rights and stand on them as Christians. I mean, look at Jesus. It's striking that Paul doesn't actually ask us to look at Jesus in this chapter. He says, look at me. He says, I freely gave up my freedom in order to offer for free the gospel that makes us free. Now, you can trace through this for yourself because it's really quite straightforward. Once you've seen, that's what Paul's doing. Verse 12, the second half of it, is the key. But four different ways in which Paul gave up his rights. Verses 1 to 6, he gave up his rights as an apostle. Everybody knew that the apostle had the right to take a believing wife with them, to be paid for what they were doing. Everybody knew that. But he didn't. Because he wanted to offer for free the gospel that makes us free. And so he freely gave up his freedom. Think of Ephesus in the, middle of, uh, in the heat of the midday. That's when he chose to preach the gospel at the midday lunch break, when it was at its hottest in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. I mean, think of that. And what did he do in the morning? Oh, he worked as a tanner. That is, he worked on skins. Have you ever done any tanning? It is incredibly hard work, and it stinks. And the Greeks were just as snobbish about work as you are. And he did that, though he had every right to be paid, so he could offer the Christian gospel freely. And you're worried about withdrawing from the idol temple that it might lose you a bit of social status? I mean, come on. But he also had every right as a worker. Look at verse 7. I mean, workers have rights. Look at verse 7 there of chapter 9. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Can you imagine that? You know, you get a head out with the, the British Army to wherever it happens to be that they're off to, and you, you kind of, you're out on exercise, or you've been out there on deployment, and then you think, okay, time for a bit of food. What is in my ration pack? And whoop, there's nothing there. Unheard of. And then the farmer. You know, you get to the end of the day, you've been milking uh, the goats or whatever it happens to be, and, and then your boss says, no, none for you, you're off to Aldi, mate. And then there are divine rights. And verse uh, 8 um, through to verse 10 speaks about the law of God. And what Paul does is he chooses with absolute precision a verse which in its context the author, Moses, has put there to make sure that we treat people properly. Some people say, oh, this is a bit, bit, bit about the ox, you know, trampling out the grain is a random verse just taken by Paul. He doesn't know how to handle the Bible and he didn't handle the Bible according to its literary context. Nonsense. You go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter 25, it's all about treating people properly. 
And God's law demands that the worker and the animal and the vulnerable and the destitute are treated fairly. It includes women in that section because children and women always are most vulnerable as a culture becomes more pagan. Look at Westminster. And so then is the Christian worker not more valuable than a donkey or an ox? Now, I don't know what you think of Tim sitting down here, but you know, I, I like to think he is a bit more valuable than an ox. And so he deserves his food. But Paul said, oh, I'm not going to demand my divine right. And then there's verse 11 and 12a, just simply the way that the Corinthians treated other people who worked spiritually amongst them. They looked after them, and so just their very own way of looking after people. You know, forget the workers' rights, forget the divine right for a second. I mean, forget the apostolic right, just the way you behave with everybody else. Is it not right that you treat a gospel worker as he ought to be treated? And there's a huge amount here about how we should treat gospel workers, but that's not really the main point. The point is Paul saying, look, Remember how I behaved when I was with you. I gave up all of my rights. And I went and did manual labor so that you didn't pay me, so I could offer freely the gospel that is free, that makes you free. So at the end of verse 12, nevertheless, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now let's now see what Paul, he's taking his example, he wants us to apply it. Every culture has its badges and symbols, its markers and its emblems. Because all human culture flows out of Babylon, it is in essence a product of sin. And these badges and emblems that sinful pagan cultures adopt, why they're immensely precious to those cultures. They determine whether you're in or whether you're out, whether you belong or whether you don't, whether you get promotion or whether you don't. They lie at the intersection. They may not be in and of themselves sinful, but because they're so emotionally loaded, value-loaded, well, then if you don't take part in these things, shame on you, you'll bring shame on the company, I'll cancel you, you'll find yourself passed over and excluded. But you see, the Corinthians, they're so worldly, they don't want to be excluded, and so they say, well, I know an idol is nothing, and so I'm going to crack on regardless, crack open the bubbly, and Paul says, not so fast. How did the gospel impact me, says Paul? I, I chose to give up my rights. I did it so that I could make it all right for you to be made right with God. I surrendered my freedom to offer for free the Christian message that makes a person free. And now you, you won't remove yourself from the idolatrous temple for the sake of your Christian brothers and sisters who are finding your presence there causes them to be destroyed in their Christian faith because it's such a scandal. Get out of there. We talked last week about tomb sweeping. 
You know, some of us will come from cultures where tomb sweeping is an important part of the culture. And I know you know that the tomb sweeping ceremony is meaningless and what your ancestors think of you now and whether you can affect the well-being of your dead ancestors is totally irrelevant. <laughs> I remember going to Hong Kong in 1979 to the Northern Territories. You know, it's a big deal, a big deal. I didn't realize that it was a huge deal. I, uh, other soldiers were telling me, you don't do realize that all these shrines, they're really, really, I thought, well, I never, I never knew that. But you see, there'll be some people in the church that you're part of, or your family, who actually find it a profound scandal. And so you could engage, but well, it may well destroy a fellow Christian who hasn't grasped this, and therefore, surely you won't engage. But I wouldn't want to give up my rights. Look at the Apostle Paul, will you? That's normal Christianity. The Lodge. I don't expect we have many Masons here, but it's helpful to go back to a different culture. And I, we know that the Lodge Freemasonry is completely meaningless. It's just grown-ups who haven't quite moved on from the dressing-up box. And their ceremonies and their silly schoolboy handshakes are a nonsense. We know all that. But you know, Freemasonry deceives the sinner, makes him think everything's all right. Freemasonry dishonors Christ. It suggests that there's something other than Christ that can unite us. And Freemasonry divides the saints. Imagine if 30 or 40 of us were Freemasons and the others weren't. Some were in and some were out. And so Freemasonry is profoundly wrong thing for a Christian to be engaged in uh, wholeheartedly. And okay, the dinner and the silly handshake. And I know you know it doesn't, but I don't cost you. D&I, diversity and inclusion. Well, you're yeah, much good about the diversity and inclusion stuff, but actually, in the way that it is adopted in many of the big corporates, it's downright totalitarian in its demand that you accept a pagan worldview dressed up today around the rainbow flag and so forth. And I know you're, the rainbow flag is just a rainbow flag. It's actually... The rainbow flag, it's all about Noah, actually, really, and the flood. It's about the grace of God. And so I know, in a sense, you could stick that rainbow, and all will be well with you on the DNI. But actually, once you explore, maybe your company's DNI is fine, but for most of them, it's just imposing a totalitarian worldview, a pagan worldview on the company. And, and so, actually, no matter how senior, in fact, the more senior you are, the more important that you find out what it's actually teaching, and if necessary, withdraw from the training. Really sorry. But that's going to cost me my job. Oh, yeah. But there are plenty of jobs in Sainsbury's. We're desperately short of fruit pickers. You know, that Brexit means no one to pick the raspberries. And Paul said, that's what I did. Do you understand the gospel? Oh, we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? Kids' education, you know, and so forth, have we researched what they're teaching our children in terms of relationship and sex education, are they actually trying to impose totalitarian worldviews on our kids, then have we, I mean, it's really costly to go and say to the head, I would like to actually ask, please, an interview, and they're a little group of three or four of us, and actually, no, we're going to withdraw our children. These are our uh, reasons. 
I chose to give up all my rights, says Paul. I did it so that I could make it all right for you to be made right with God. I surrendered my freedom to offer for free the Christian message that makes a person free. Now, what about you? Do you understand the gospel? Well, now, this causes Paul, uh, a person rather, to think to themselves, what on earth made Paul do this? And I think Paul is wanting to say to us that he did it freely because he was free. That the Christian gospel will liberate us to take strong decisions that make us weak. Now, verses 13 through 18 is somewhat complex. Paul reiterates his right to draw wages from the gospel. He does it brilliantly by pointing to the idol temple to start with and saying, look, the guys in the idol temple, they've got every right to benefit from what they're doing. In fact, Jesus says that workers have got the right to benefit from what they're doing, so I had the right to benefit from what I'm doing. But I don't exercise those kind of rights. But then in 15 and 16, he explains why he doesn't exercise his rights. I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me to preach, because I'm an apostle. Woe to me if I don't. But if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. What then is my reward, verse 18, that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel? For though I am free from all, I've made myself a slave to all that I might win more of them. And what he's doing here, I think, and it is a little bit complex, is he's saying, look, I ought to preach the gospel because I've been commissioned to do so by Jesus. So I've got a, if you like, I've got a duty to preach the gospel because I'm an apostle. But if I choose my own free will to do it for free and not to demand my rights, as it were, then my reward will be all the greater. And so I am free from all. And I can make myself a slave for all. This makes you wonder, doesn't it, what is this reward that Paul has got that liberates him? And I think the answer is that it is the reward of being part of a vast army of people whom God has chosen from all over the world, from every race and nation and background and culture, And I think that point is made in verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with him in its blessings. And the blessings are arriving in heaven and finding there this vast constellation of brothers and sisters who are so full of thanks to God that the apostle Paul has given up all his rights and served on this earth for nothing to win people from every nation and tribe and language and culture. And so do you see this future reward has freed Paul from all the trivial knickknacks of man's approval. 
You know, whether he gets letters before or after his name, you know, honestly, really, how significant are letters before or after your name, really, in the grand scheme of eternity? Okay, you've got a letter before your name, you know, doctor. Well, big bananas, really. You know, how long is it going to last? Big deal. Letters after your name, the kind of thing people really worry about. Who gives a monkeys about them? These little knickknacks of human approval. See, Paul is completely free from peer group approval. He's been freed from this kind of minutiae of human recognition. And the reward system is the reward system of arriving in the new creation and finding just dozens of people, hundreds. People like me will come up to Paul. I'm going to find Paul and I'm going to say to him, Paul, you're a legend. Thank you so much. I praise God for you. Here I am from a completely different culture, 2,000 years after you. I believe in the Lord Jesus and your, your sacrifices were a fundamental reason why I came to know Jesus for who Jesus. Praise you, Paul. I, might, I think I'm going to hug him. When I get there, I don't know if Paul does hugs, but do you know what? That's the, that's the, that's the bonus system. And Paul lists the deprivations. We haven't got time to go into them now, but he, he became a Jew to the Jews. You remember Timothy? He had Timothy circumcised. I mean, that was quite a big deal, I imagine. No painkillers. He took a Nazarite vow. He engaged in purification rites. Once he was stripped to the waist and lashed uh, um, 36 times minus one in order to retain his Jewish status. And then to those under the law, he became as one under the law because you know, he worked in the synagogue for quite a while and he subjected himself to the whole of the Old Testament stuff, even though he knew all of that was out the window now. But he subjected himself to it so that he continued preaching to those who were under the law. But then those who did not sit under the law, the Gentiles, he went to their houses, even though that made him, uh, to, to Jewish people, you know, really put them him on the wrong side of the law. But he went there because he was under the law of Jesus Christ, the law of love. Verse 22 is fascinating, and I think if we misapprehend verse 22, it may set us off on the wrong track. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. And you'll notice there that there is a missing comparative. He didn't say, to the weak, I became as weak. So I don't think he's saying there, oh, to somebody with a weak conscience, I, I adopted a weak conscience. No, this has been the big thing through the whole letter. I became social status nil to the weak so that I could win people social status nil. Now, Paul is not infinitely elastic. There's no duplicity here. He's not a kind of social chameleon with no principles. He has a principle, which is to win people. Everything else is secondary. The principle is to obey the law of Christ, the law of love, and everything else has been subjected to that principle. The principle is the final goal of a vast army of men and women from every nation, language, and tongue. That's the goal. That's the reward. The principle is the future reward and the present proclamation of the gospel, and everything else is subjected to it. And this future blessing 
knowing what he will receive on the other side, has actually liberated Paul to be genuinely free, which none of his non-Christian friends are. Though I myself am free from all, I've made myself a slave to all that I may win more of them. You see, if you are actually, (laughs) if you're still bound to a pagan culture, you're never going to be free because you're operating under the rule system of this world and you're looking for its benefits. You know, mum and dad have said, you've got to get a top degree, so you're working your heart out to get a top degree, and then they want you in the top six, so you've got to get into the top six. You get into the top six, you've got to hold your place, you need to be a partner, you've got to be a partner. And so you're within this kind of whole earthbound enslaving system. Got to get those letters. Once you realize there's a reward, the reward is beyond. It's the reward of being part of a great army of men and women who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're free. Forget about the social status. Forget about the knickknacks that the world wants to reward you with. Forget about peer group pressure. Oh, can you feel the chains, the chains, the chains? You're free. And now you can give yourself to something that really matters. Winning people to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So I met this week somebody who I'd known about but had never actually personally met before. Lovely guy, aged 58, a little bit younger than myself. He leads a church. If I mention the name of the church, you probably will have heard of it. And you probably will know him. He was on his way to Madagascar. He's going to Madagascar because he and his wife have decided to move there. And they decided to move to a place. He has no Madagascan. He does not speak Madagascan. He's going to learn that language. And... um, The place he's going has no running water apart from one hour a day, and when the water runs, it's muddy. He likes a drink. He he did tell me this. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't, sorry, sorry, that's wrong, isn't it? He doesn't kind of like a drink and kind of neck it down. He likes an occasional drink, and so he's not a teetotaler, but everybody there is a teetotaler, and uh, and so he's decided he's going to be a teetotaler, he and his wife, while he's in Madagascar. He's just actually planning to leave the church he leads with all, I mean, tremendous, where he works, you will know the church. It's a a wonderful church family. He's going to Madagascar. He's going to learn a new language, age 58. Why are you going? Oh, because there's such a need for people to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ there. He's free. He's free. So Corinthians, you know, you want to worry about retaining your social position by attending the flag-waving ceremony of your pagan culture and, you know, being enslaved to whatever the place you work in demands of you and you're not actually going to stand up and accept whatever social deprivation and reputational damage is going to come from not, you know, dancing to the tune of the establishment on this. Hey, look at the Apostle Paul. You, you know him. He was with you. This is how he operated. 
how subversive this is, isn't it? We must draw to a close. And let me say once again, I know these things are profoundly costly. They're not little decisions we're talking about here, about whether somebody does or doesn't smoke, or whether I wear a face mask or not. I mean, of course, this kind of logic will impact that, but you know, it's so easy to get lost in silly little decisions like that, that really, this passage has got absolutely nothing to do with. They're big, big decisions that can impact what people think of you and whether you get on in your career and what your family make of you. I was tempted to lead on the issue of rights and freedom. And, you know, our culture considers freedom to be so important. Once we lose our understanding of a future reward in God's new creation, by definition, we become enslaved. And I was tempted to suggest that there are a few more enslaved societies than 21st century Western liberalism. Because all we're worried about is what people think of us. We're cut off from God and we've only got a value system of horizontal stuff and so we're totally enslaved and chains around our ankles and ropes around our necks and hands in manacles of whether I've got the degree and what my mum and dad think of me and all the rest of it. They're just so enslaving and I was tempted to lead on that. Paul, of course, was free because... He knew that the value system was a new creation with a myriad, a constellation of men and women, and so he gave up all his freedoms. I was tempted to lead on that. But I thought we'd take too much time if we did that. The, 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 key, the key issue, it's, it's very costly, is are we prepared to drop all our rights and freedoms with regard to whatever social emblems and flags and cultural markers we come from are considered to be precious for the sake of our Christian brothers and sisters who would be destroyed if we carried on attending the mass or part of the lodge or putting the rainbow flag on our emails or going to the DNI training or keeping our children in relationship and sex education when, it, when we've done the research and seen what it's actually teaching. Or, oh, you'll be considered to be the scum of the earth for doing it. You might even lose your job. Oh, yes, says Paul. There are plenty of jobs picking fruit. Now, allow me to lead us in prayer. Though he was rich, he came alone and poor for us. Though he was Lord, he served as if a slave. Though he was God, our human shape he bore for us. To earth he came in love, his own to seek and save. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his selfless love that liberates us. And we pray that you would enable us to meditate on this and so to be truly free. In Jesus' name, amen.